Hi Vanessa, it's so nice to have you on the channel with me today. Uh, this is Vanessa Braxton. She is the master distiller, founder and owner of Black Mama Vodka. Can you uh, please tell us a little bit about your background, Vanessa? Um, well, thank you. Thank you for having me, Brewbird. I really appreciate you um, asking me to do this. I had no problems just saying yes, because it's you. Anybody else, I'm not doing it for. <laughs> But I am Vanessa Braxton, you know, I'm CEO president of, you know, Graves Andy Braxton Distillers, which is the distillery I own. And the brand is Black Mama Vodka. I am the master distiller and master blender. You know, um, I am the first African-American woman master distiller and master blender in the United States in history. Don't get it twisted. This year will be nine years that I've had Black Mama Vodka <laughs> when I launched the brand. You know, and um, it's really, really good. I enjoy doing what I'm doing. And this has brought me to a level of of creating something for my children because, mm -hmm. you know, I'm no spring chicken. You know, I'm not 32. I'm 52. <laughs> I know I don't look it. <laughs> but thank you. But it's the vodka that I make. It's the, it's the fountain of youth. So um, for me... Uh, you know, I'm I'm a retired structural engineer, you know, so I went to engineering school at, at Pratt. You know, I did engineering, construction management, you know, civil structural. I used to make liquor in college in 87. Oh, like illegally then? Yeah. This honey, the statute is 34 years later. What are they going to do? Like he's okay, asking me for a check now. Back in the 80s. There's very few um, black students, you know, especially in the engineering department and women, you know, let alone. So we always, you know, stuck together. And then when we had parties, you know, I was the I was the maker for the liquor for the parties on campus. Did I you just to... make beer or you no, made like, hard alcohol? Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> on the stove. In Brooklyn. Wow, that's yeah. that's hardcore. Yeah. Listen, I used to I didn't knew then, but I used to throw my heads out the window on campus. <laughs> you know, because after that came out, you know, it was just like, oh, so I, I didn't want to put it down the toilet in the school, um in the toilet in the school dorm, you know, because uh -huh. we had a, we lived in a building. So I throw it out the window, you know, uh -huh. after a couple of times, then at the end of the semester. I happened to look out the window, huh? all the shrubbery and the grass and everything was dead. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you have to be. I was like, oh, shoot, I got to move out of this dorm room. You know, you can see like maintenance looking like what happened. You can see like strip, like fading on the brick of the side of the building when you stand outside. No, those were the days, but you can't do that anymore. You know, I wouldn't advise anybody to make any type of illegal liquor in college or anywhere in the United States of America. Okay, so, you know, you want to be responsible, but we're talking about 34 years ago. So, yeah. When you're an engineer, you always like to experiment and play with stuff, and it's the science behind everything. And I And I think that's what Anybody who's involved with liquor or distilling or manufacturing of some sort, it's the science behind it. 
You know, how does it work? How does it happen? And, and that's the exciting part of it. I'm always excited every day coming into my distillery and to making something new, you know, mm-hmm. or just mm-hmm. trying something. It's not an easy industry mm-hmm. um, to get into, mm-hmm. you know. So, you know, when I started, I started out, this is in, I got my, my, my TTB license first in 2012. And then what I did was partner with another distillery because I lived on the West Coast at the time. I was already retired mm-hmm. and my husband, you know, got a job in California. We started out with corn back then because, you know, and I would use this distillery, which was great. In Oregon, I'm great friends with them. I still have a DBA with them, which is great. You know, so we would start out with corn and then I started blending and making it with teas. Mm-hmm. and doing natural infusions. I wanted to have a flavor, but I didn't want to do like what the other brands were doing because I didn't like the method. There mm-hmm. were just too many chemicals. You know, a lot of these natural flavorings are made in labs, mm-hmm. you know, and people really don't understand the the makeup or the compounds of an actual beverage. You can, you know, you have all these flavoring places and, you know, they actually send you a flavor like in a container, you know, that's approved by TTB and it has a skull and crossbones on it. And I'm like, what the fuck? No, I ain't using that. (laughs) Because I wanted like a peach. I wanted to do, and I tried it and, you know, I tested it out and I was like, "Mm, no. Because it's still, I swear to God, I thought I was going to die when I tried it. Because either I put too many, you know, you got like 750,000 parts per million that you got to add to, you know, like one liter. <laughs> and it's still like a burn, you know, I'm like, oh, no, I don't don't like it. So that's when I developed and I said, you know what, let me see what I could do naturally. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what I did. You know, I make a green tea, a chai tea, a sour sap tea. Um, also a pomegranate tea, you know, and I make a peach tea. And then of course I have my straight and, you know, all I'm approved for natural infusions. So, you know, with the neutral grain spirit, you know, with doing that, you know, so, which is very good. And I, and, and I've perfected the formula, you know, in doing the blending and even doing the maceration and everything that I do, which is mine. Nobody else is doing it. There were other companies that came out with a tea but it doesn't taste like mine and it's all chemicals mm-hmm. <laughs> so i tr- i try to do it like if you know how moonshiners do it in the back they don't use any chemicals whatsoever they use all natural products that's what i'm about and that's what i love about the craft and what i do one of the questions you wanted to, i'm sure your, your audience want to know what does it cost mm-hmm. what does it cost to 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 do this now today, it's easier to have a brand. It's much easier in the U.S. to have a brand because you can contact a, um, a distillery like me now. I, I do contract manufacturing for smaller brands. I bottle for other brands. I blend for other brands. I got to keep my lights on. Mm-hmm. You know, it's still a business. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, so one of the things is getting the TTB to... Sorry, what does the TTB stand for? Oh, Tobacco Trade and Bureau. It's highly regulated because the government want their tax money no matter what. 
before a bottle leaves this place. We have to do, before anything, we have to do a monthly storage and operational and processing um, form every month. Mm-hmm. Every single month. Is that just to like say what's coming in, what's coming out alcohol-wise? Yes, because you got to pay um, your taxes per proof, you know, per, you know, 100, you know, per gallon proof. You know, they just recently reduced our um, excise tax. The federal Ooh. excise tax was just reduced, and I think it, it permanently passed for us. So those of us that are craft distillers, we can distill up to a hundred thousand proof gallons and we'll pay a reduced excise tax rate mm-hmm. you know which is like 214 mm-hmm. you know per nine liter case you know which mm-hmm. is still, so that's really inexpensive because before we were paying the same 13 dollars as the big boys, thirteen eighty four, mm-hmm. but they're not. We're not putting out that much. Mm-hmm. You know, you got the big companies like Grey Goose and all those big companies. They're doing, you know, a million gallons. We're not even doing that. You know, once you hit over seven hundred and fifty thousand proof gallons, you're no longer really in in as far as TTB concerned a craft. Mm-hmm. That's with the big boys, but then, but when the taxes hit. Once you go over a hundred thousand proof gallons, then you, you're gonna bump up to the next. And how you do the calculations? Just think about it. Um, for a hundred thousand nine liter, that's about six hundred thousand seven fifty mils bottles. Mm-hmm. You, when you think about it, fifty thousand cases. Mm-hmm. So that's still. That's still a lot of money <laughs> for a craft, right? Yeah. That's yeah. In, and that's in a year. You know, that's yeah. not like a lifetime. Mm-hmm. A lot of us don't hit that capacity with your own brand. You know, I could tell you in the very beginning when I started, it costs a million, a million fifty thousand. Wow. Wow. Okay. Did you need to, can I ask, like, did you need to take a loan or get additional there wasn't. Get, let me tell you, honey, nobody <laughs> was giving anybody any doggone loan for nothing, for not for that. We're talking about in 2020, especially since I'm a black woman. No, you know, and the industry is so saturated. You know, they, they weren't a lot of crafts back then. Just even coming out with your brand, you still had to, you know, team up with, another distillery when you first come out that's when you're just learning about the industry and it is just a huge undertaking just to to have a brand you still got to be licensed you still got to have a wholesale license you still got to have an import license just at that portion and then to have the distillery you got to be distilled warehouse storage you got to have all of that ttb you hire a lawyer you know, there's plenty of lawyers out there that specialize in that, but you can go on and do your um, your own licensing at ttb.gov. Um, and you can do that and it's free. It's free in the U.S. 
The cost is your state. Mm -hmm. That's the cost. So even though I spend a million fifty thousand with getting the brand out, marketing, bottles, um, equipment, buying equipment, bottling equipment, getting all this other stuff at you know a place that that I was using their distillery because we had a DBA, it's fine. But then after a while, you get tired of that. You know, I will say in my first year, you're never going to make any money in the first five years. I try to be honest with you. You're not making any money. (laughs) You're not making any profit because of the simple fact that you're always putting money back in. But I can say that I did make a profit my first year. I made $76 profit. (laughs) But that was my $76, okay? (laughs) So... That tells you in the very beginning how much of a um, large investment that you would have to make in the U.S. I don't know how it is any place else, but if it's something that you're going to do, you're going to have to do it for the long haul, you know. But that was back then. Now, I think it's a lot easier now because mm-hmm. now we have we have a lot of. Um, black and Latino owned brands, you know, and women owned brands that are coming out, whereas they don't have to own the distillery. Mm -hmm. They can just contact mine or contact another distillery to have a contract manufacturing, you know, which, you know, which is, which is good and bad because then you're not really in control of the entire um, chain supply. You know what I mean? I'm in control of my entire chain supply from the mm-hmm. beginning to the end. Mm-hmm. And and that was always important to me. So that way I can teach that and give that to my children, you know, down to the building and, you know, doing everything else. But in the U.S., it is um, quite, ex- it's quite expensive, you know, if you're going to invest in a, in building a distillery and um, I would, I would advise people to start out first with a brand and have do contract manufacturing first, because you're going to spend a lot of money just trying to market your brand, you know, in the U S and let alone to, you know, going outside of the U S. Okay. Wait. Uh, so just going back, like um, you said, I think you mentioned it was a million dollars and 50,000 that you spend on the startup class. Is that right? Yes, absolutely right. Got the receipts. Okay. <laughs> and I didn't take out a loan. Okay. Not no bank loan. I don't know. They, it was my retirement. <laughs> what was your retirement money? I think, yeah, I think a lot of people do. They like start <laughs> in retirement though. I've met a lot of people that did that. Yeah, it was my 401k. You know, and I was, you know, at the time, like I'm 52 now. I'll be 53. Jesus Christ. So I retired. I worked for the government and I retired um, 12 years ago when I was 40, just before my 40th birthday. I had already put in 20 years with the government, you know, New York State MTA here in in New York City. I I also oversaw the projects after 9-11 happened to rebuild the stations, you know, so I was very much involved with that. But when I retired and left, I'm like 40, you know, 
my mother-in-law was living with us at our house and my husband was still working. The kids were just getting into high school at the time and I really wanted to be close to home. And then when we moved, I said, ah, I'm gonna start this liquor company. And my husband was like, what? <laughs> You know, so I said, I want to have something that's, you know, for the kids or in the future. You know, I can't just live in California and live on this West Coast and do nothing. You know, so I'm going to take my retirement money. I had to pay. That's the other thing. If you take your retirement money out early before of age, you got to pay the taxes. You pay a huge penalty to the IRS. Mm -hmm. I didn't care. It's my money. I just paid it. And then... You know, you realize real fast that, you know what, I'm losing, I'm going through money really fast because of all the different things that's coming up. Unexpected, you know, unexpected when you're thinking about it. Insurance. (laughs) Nobody thinks about insurance. You know, you got to have not just general insurance, but you also got to have product liability insurance. People don't think about that. And then you got to have umbrella insurance. Yeah. Is that like if someone sues you for getting sick? Well, like because sick, of your product? Drunk, just anything. Anything that to deal with your product. Okay. So, and then just the general liability insurance is for the business. And then you need your product liability insurance. So that way you can put it in stores. Because if you okay. don't have that, you can't put it into the supermarkets or the stores. Mm-hmm. And then you got to have umbrella insurance just in case someone, you know, tries to sue you personally. Girl, this, mm, this insurance industry is just like, it's just like bleeding money, you know? And then you have bottles and all these other things. So, you know, as I was coming down the line, I, you know, I tapped my husband. I said, that's, that's the beauty of being married too. Um, honey, I need to use your 401k. <laughs> <laughs> So my husband, in order to keep our marriage married happily, (laughs) I gave my presentation. I said, listen, my biggest presentation was, it's for the kids. That's all you got to say. We're leaving a legacy for the children. This is for children. He's like, the kids are not even of age yet. I don't care. We can build. I'm building it for them. So my husband took out a loan on his 401k. God bless him. He's like, as long as you stay happy, but you know what he knows? He's like, okay, I don't know how long I'm going to have to work. <laughs> so this he's still working. <laughs> yes. Yes. But... You know what? It's it's a happy medium now because of the simple fact that I was able to to grow slowly, definitely slowly, because it's frightening, you know, when you're spending that kind of money. And that, and that's the value of what you're spending, you know. Hands down, you're always spending money. You're mm-hmm. always spending money. I'm sure you worked in a distillery. You see they always spend you're always spending money. I mean, I think you're a bit better with your vodka, like scotch whiskey. You have to make it and then it has to wait like three years and you can't sell it during that three years. So that's like crazy to me that you open a distillery, all those costs, and then you can't sell your main product. 
Yeah. Also, too, um, in the U.S., you can't even, um, you have to build your distillery mm-hmm. before they even give you the license, which sucks. They've gotten yeah. better. Yeah. So you can, you can turn around and get the equipment and you can do all of that. And they can turn around and tell you, not TTB, but the state can turn around and tell you no. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I know someone that's going through that right now because I provide, con- you know, consulting. Because mm-hmm. someone will ask me what's my, you know, I'll give them my experience depending on what state they're in to find different options of doing things. Sometimes people just jump into it, not realizing how much work it really, really takes. Yeah. Um, and you have to... I always say move slow. There's people who want to move like lightning fast because they think they're going to be like Grey Goose or some shit, you know, like immediately. Like nobody, (laughs) it don't happen that way, you know? (laughs) But that's the the other reason why I wanted to use um, my retirement, my husband's retirement and whatever savings. Every time I got something, a refund or something from from the IRS or when I made a profit of something, because we also own um, real estate. So, you know, which helps, you know, and of course my husband's income helped. It allowed me to be with the kids while they were in high school, be there for them, travel, do things, you know, have the brand and, and take my time doing things. And then about after three years later, 2013, because I launched this brand 2013, and I have the DBA out in um, Oregon, I moved back to New York because I was on the West Coast. So I moved back to New York in 2015. And then in, I got this place. And so I got this place. This is totally 100% mine. So I don't have no partners. I don't have to share no assembly line. I don't have to do all that. <laughs> So on the West Coast, did you have an actual distillery that was yours and you built it? No, it was on the West Coast. I was partners with a distillery. Mm-hmm. I was partners with a distillery there. And I put money into that distillery, okay. you know, because the the person, and it was like five of us who did that. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? So five of us did that. So that way we can share in the costs. You know, share and using the facility, come in. It was in Oregon. Come in when we wanted to, to do our stuff because nobody would make my teas for me. I got to be the one to make it, you know? So, so it was really good, especially since they put the cost up. They had so much going on that it was a huge cost for them and their brand wasn't even doing well. So it makes sense, like, hey, call your friends. Do you guys want to have, you know, do you guys want to share in this? Sure, I do. How much you need? <laughs> you know, but then doing that gets staled real fast, mm-hmm. you know, but it allowed me to have that DBA out there, allowed me to get the license out there and do that to really learn the industry. Okay. You know, and then now, so many laws have changed because now, good thing I did when I moved, when I moved back to, when I moved back to New York, I couldn't bring that license with me. Oh. 
Yeah. yeah. So I had to fly back and forth and utilize it. That's the one thing. If you if you go to another state, you literally got to do the whole process all over again. Oh, man. Oh, that's tough. It's tough, but it's kind of good. Because let's say, for example, if you're, if you're moving 15 miles, like if I open up, like I'm trying to look for another warehouse, if I open up a location, say 15, 20 miles away from where I'm at now, I wouldn't have to do the application all over again. That is called a continuous. It'll be a continuous distillery because mm-hmm. it's the same company. You're just 15 miles, 20 miles away. It's just a, you're continuing your license from this location to that location. But when you go from one state, 3,000 miles away, mm-hmm. they ain't continuing shit. They need you to do that all over again <laughs> under another company name or something. You know, you can still work with that distillery and still have that, which I do because I let them do my backup stuff now. Mm-hmm. But with me, I have my 100%, my own, this is my place. I've been here and, and that's that, which is great. You know, so it allows the flexibility it's still a, it's still an additional cost, you know? So like recently during the pandemic, you know, um, I made some hands, I made hand sanitizers, you know? So for me, you know, I was dealing with, um, denatured, I was dealing with denatured spirit first. Cause I was blending some denatured, you know what denatured spirit is? Yes. It's like, you can't drink it. It's, they put something in it to make it taste really bad as well. Just salt. It's just really like a right. salt. So I was making, blending of the natured spirit for um, one of these companies here because I have the bottling machines. Uh-huh. And then what happened is when the pandemic hit, I shut down for about, you know, three weeks. So, you know, saw what happened in New York, right? It got really, really bad. Mm-hmm. And then I got a call from, you know, I got an email from American Club, from the Distillers Institute. I'm a oh, member of cool. <laughs> So the American Distillers Institute or Distillers Institute reached out to everybody on um, who can help with hand sanitizers. And so I did that. And it was crazy. It was really crazy. You know, I was in here and I had to hire two more people <laughs> to come in because, you know, the, the orders were coming in, you know, started giving it away. But I was like, oh, no, 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 no. I need to, I need to, I need to make some money off of this because it costs money, you know? And so what I did, thank goodness, I, I gave some to hospitals and then hospitals started ordering. And then Department of Homeland Security became my client. Oh, okay, cool. I know, that was so cool. I was like, yes. You know, when you do business with your government, I like that. (laughs) (laughs) So that was was a a good thing during the pandemic. So I kind of, I survived during the pandemic until I had nothing left. Mm -hmm. Nothing. 
would you mind like giving an actual more like a succinct breakdown of that one million fifty thousand? Like roughly, where did all that money go to? Mm-hmm. I can tell you back then, marketing. I would say is about thirty five percent. Oh, mark. Yeah, I did advertising on television, and you know, there's advertising oh, yeah. laws. Yeah, I did advertising with um, Time Warner on the cable, just getting the brand out, um, sponsorships. That stuff becomes expensive. Bottles, you know, um, ingredients, you know, the stuff don't just, you know, you're talking about tea, sugar, your mash, the, the ingredients that costs, that costs money, labor, salespeople. You know, another, your salespeople, because they're going to make off of that probably another 25%. So your largest cost is going to be your marketing and advertising. Mm-hmm. Because I'm going to say it's going to, it's going to take more than a third of whatever you put in. And even today, now that you have, now that you have the internet, it's even it's it costs even more money from the way I see it. Yeah, because now you have TV, you got TV, radio, and now you have social media. Yeah, that wasn't a play back then. Back then, you had to pay. You know, you figured a million dollars, three hundred fifty thousand to four hundred thousand is going, especially when you're trying to do a campaign not just in one market. You're trying to do it in like five markets or six markets, you know, and that's the bad thing to do because you're going to go through a burn rate. Your advertising and marketing is going to take up 35% of your initial cost. You got 35% of your marketing. Another 35% of equipment. Okay, 35, 30, 70, we're at 70. 25% cost of goods. Okay. And then you got your 5% it's the salespeople, mm-hmm. right? In the US, we have control states where the government handles some. It's like, mm, I think now there's like 23 control states, might be less. And the rest are not controlled. Oh. Those are like free clear states. So in those states, you hire your you can hire your own sales team. Yeah, I don't know. You know, so you have independent contractors, independent, you know, workers or your own sales force. You know, you can even hire your own sales force and they make a percentage of your sales. Okay. So always think about back then it was like five percent. And those are called marketing sales force you know because you always got to have somebody in the street that's what they call it pushing your stuff you know so that's gonna that's the cost that comes out automatically to have you don't want to have a dedicated person um it's hard to have a dedicated employee to to work your sales force unless you have like a general manager to work your, you, you got to, uh, uh, you know, you outsource your sales. 
but you can do that now. You know, but you do that. So that's where your, your money will go. But you would, but the moment you get a client, just think about this. The moment you get a client from all that money you spend on marketing. And when I say for part of marketing, when you break down the marketing, just think about if 350,000 is your marketing cost. That's advertising. That's advertising on TV, radio, sponsorships. That's kind of low. It's still very low. Sponsorships. And when I say sponsorships, you do an event. You, you're, you're giving the liquor as well. So it, it costs you money to do that. Then you got to travel and, and pay a team to come there and do the tastings. So that way it can get the word out. I used to do a, a, this big company, Ultimate Women Expo. They would have 250,000 women come in to the mm-hmm. convention. Mm-hmm. They would pick different states. So mm-hmm. when you're going to market and you can do target marketing just like that directly with a consumer, mm-hmm. it's key. Because now you're they're tasting it. And sometimes, depending on the state, like if it's New York or another state, they can buy the bottles on the spot. Mm. Or if, if they can't buy the bottles on the spot, you're allowed to at least ship it to some player distributor and they can pick it up. So mm. it kind of forced you to spend, always spend money on marketing so you can get the word out. And that's going to be your biggest cost in the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Now, you didn't ask about the continuous cost. Because this is nine years later. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just think in terms of now what the average cost is to set up a distillery. Yeah. You know, that equipment, let's say you want to go in, you're going to need at least $2 million okay. in the U.S. Okay. I don't know why, but it just seems like Every distillery that I talk to now that's trying to set up is costing them like $2 million. <laughs> I don't know how it is in, in Canada, but here everything is so expensive and it depends on where you're located. I know one of the questions you asked me about was, why New York? Would I choose another location other than New York? I'm a New Yorker. I live in New York. My house is, you know, I bought my house when I lived in California. I rented my house out. So, you know, I'm at my house 20 years now. So I'm not going to give that up. But I think New York is, it's very expensive, but it's one of the most progressive states for craft distilling and manufacturing. No matter how small you are, or how large you are. But they really like to look into the small businesses here in New York. Um, In the liquor industry, in the spirit industry, let me just give you a a cost. Let's say you wanted to open up, let's just say you wanted to have a wholesale license in New York. Because remember, TTB is free. Mm -hmm. It's $27,000 just to get the license in New York. Wow. (laughs) that's a bit (laughs) right but if you go to maryland 
their wholesale license is $1,000. Oh, yeah. Big difference. Yeah. You know, but the other thing is to even having a distillery in New York for your license could be rectifying. Depends on your capacity of how much you, you're going to do. But if you have a full blanch where you end up doing over, you end up doing over 100, 750,000 um, proof gallons, and that's a big facilities, it costs $54,000 to get the distiller's license just in New York State. Gosh, yeah. I know. You know, so, but then they have now, they have these tiers. They didn't have it before. They have these tiers now. So now in New York, if you want to be a farm, a, a farm distillery, mm-hmm. I think it's like five thousand mm-hmm. dollars, but it's restricted. You can only use New York State goods, products. Like no. say, yeah, let's say I wanted to import. I couldn't. I'm not a farm license. I'm a full, you know, distillery. You know, rectifying facility and all of that. So I can rectify just as well. But they, you know, you have locations, whereas they can only use their products or New York State products, mm-hmm. you know, and that's a that's a restriction. You know, they have like tasting bars there and they can't do a lot of different things. You know, so that's one of the things I always say, if people are going to go to different place, if you're going to have a distiller's license look at what your state charge. The other thing is if you have a distiller's license in your state and say for, I'm in New York. Now, I get to sell direct in New York state. You know what I mean? Like my like the the bars and the stores can buy directly from me from the distillery. Yeah. I don't have to have a wholesaler. I don't have to have mm-hmm southern wines you eliminate that 25 percent you know markup so Mm -hmm. you're able if they do business with you directly each store then that's good you know what i mean um but also as a distillery in new york with wine and and with even with spirits you can get an out-of-state distiller's license or an out-of-state, a non-resident um, license, let's say in Maryland. And that costs like $200 mm-hmm. for the non-residents. Or you can get a distiller's outside distiller's license for $100. And then you get to ship directly to consumers <laughs> in Maryland. Isn't that- but you have to get that for every single state that you want. <laughs> yeah, and th- yeah, that's see, that's the the cost. So that's why you have to really look at, and, and I tell people to move slow, because the laws are changing every single day. So let's say you decide, let's say you did. Well, I can't say tequila because tequila isn't. But let's say you make a, a gin or a vodka, right? And they're pretty much every state will do vodka. But if you want to be in key markets, Texas, Florida, New York, you're in New York, New York, Connecticut, Jersey, you know, those are neighboring states for a New Yorker. So that's not hard. But let's say you want to be in California, California, Arizona, 
um, Las Vegas. You can get um, an out-of-state, uh, they call it a, a non-resident or out-of-state distiller's license. You're not distilling there, but you can get the license there. And then you can hire a wholesaler, but they'll allow you to ship directly. Mm-hmm. You know, and you have to get a direct shipper's permit. See, the, the, the key is, the key is, is that you have to, the hardest part, Rupert, is staying on top of the, the, the laws as they change. Mm-hmm. They're changing, but it opens up doors on you doing specific things. And I think that's what people are very concerned about because of so many regulations that there you know, is just too much to do and too much mm-hmm. to ask for, you know, and, and when you rather be, you know, distilling or blending or doing what you make in your brand than having to read 800 pages of the, the liquor laws for the United States of America. Yeah. Yeah. Tough. I don't know. Is it like that in Canada? I mean, I think it's like that everywhere to be fair. Like it's just a very regulated industry. You just have to keep reading through or jumping through all those hoops. But yeah, I think it's, very similar in other places. So that's not special to the United States. <laughs> but, the, <laughs> but the beauty is that that's the other thing too. I had to be very inventive because I do make a profit mm-hmm. as a craft, the average craft distillery, you know, you can do the average craft distillery does about 4,000, um, nine liter, um, Cases, 4,000, 4,500, say 9,000. Let's say 4,000, all right? Nine liters. That's 48,000 bottles mm-hmm. in a year. That's craft. Man, 48,000. If you're selling 48,000 bottles, I'm just using that as an example. 48,000 bottles. And you're selling it for $35. Yeah. That's 1.68 million. That's yeah. not bad. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> How much of that is like taxes and like well the cost? So, guess what? So the 48 so the 4000 the 4000 9 liters you're only paying $2.14 per case of the taxes because you're below the excise, the new reduced excise tax. So the taxes on that is, I'll tell you, on the proof gallons, 4000 Here we go. 214 divided by 12 So on a proof, and oh, times 80 if you're doing an 80 proof times 80 percent because that's on a hundred proof that's on a hundred um gallon proof 14 cents per bottle now on a Mm -hmm. 750 mil 80 80 proof is the tax now that's the tax tax now Mm -hmm. so you know that's why we have like american distillers institute american craft um spirits association when you're a member they 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 lobby and they push to push for a lot of the um craft distillers 
distilleries in making changes, you know, so that way, you know, we can, you know, get our little piece. We don't, everybody doesn't have to be on Grey Goose or Bacardi. You can make a good living, you know, pay. My, my biggest thing is pay for all of your equipment if you can. Every time you make a little bit of profit, get a piece of equipment. You know, when I um when I when I did the Department of Homeland Security during the pandemic, they paid me nice. Yeah. <laughs> when the US government pays you, it's nice. It's really nice. You know. Um I used to also send over um consolidated containers for um, wine and spirits to the U.S. embassies, mm-hmm. you know, right here in New York. They don't, they would never name the brand. They don't name a brand. They just say they want vodka, they want vodka, wine, or whatever for the U.S. embassies. And then you would just, I put my stuff in there. Hell, what the hell? I'm going to put somebody else's vodka in there? No, I'm putting mine. <laughs> and, you know, that's guaranteed money. And then I would... Procure other people's spirits and put it into a container, and then the U.S. government for the military they take it and take it to wherever they gotta take it to. I don't care. It's shipped out to Rome. I didn't have to do that. You just bring it to the port, and then you show proof that you know they got it, and then they would pay you. There's so many things that you can do with when you're a licensed distiller in the U.S. It's not just your brand. I think a lot of time people focus just on their brand and don't diversify. You know how we talk about diversity in the workplace or how you have to mm-hmm. diversify your portfolio? Yep. <laughs> you got to diversify with your business mm-hmm. because I can't compete with the Smyrna. I can't, who's, who's going to compete with those big companies, mm-hmm. right? You're going to, mm-hmm. you're going to lose your shirt. You're going to lose your skirt. You know, and your panties is going to be in a bunch. So nobody wants to, (laughs) you can't compete. So you find niches. You find niches and you reduce your costs. All right. Um, We're we're down to the last bit of questions, I guess. Yes. Well, (laughs) okay, let's do this. You asked me about as the first black woman, have I experienced any racism? Number nine. Yes, number nine. As the first black woman to open a distillery in the U.S., have you experienced any racism or gender discrimination in your journey with the as a distiller? Of course not. (laughs) (laughs) Of course not. The U.S. The U.S. don't discriminate. Honey, hell yeah. But you know what? The liquor industry is very different. Hmm. I will say, in this, in the US liquor industry is a white male dominated industry. Yes. But you gotta bust your ass in order for them to respect you. Seriously. I've had 
I know when I first came out, I went to like a we had a we have a conference called the the Bar and Nightclub Show mm-hmm. in Las Vegas, which is really really nice. And I remember, you know, you, you're all excited and bubbly about what your brand is, and you know, introducing, and then you see all the other brands there. And I remember this gentleman asked me in a condescending way. He asked me, where the the heck did I get the money to have my own brand and to make a liquor? He don't know me from Adam. And it was a white male. Just straight up. I guess he might have been drunk. But it was an industry professional because this event is only for industry professionals. Where the heck did you get the money to, to, to have your own liquor and have your own brand? I said, the same goddamn place you got yours. Working. <laughs> How are you going to ask me that question? You know, but it was just like, it just naturally rolled out of his tongue. Like, I'm not worthy to have this. So like, when, like, like what? dude, I'm a, I'm a retired engineer. Mm-hmm. Structural. Mm. We don't, you know, when you can find, you can calculate the moment of inertia, then you and I can talk. But don't ever ask me that type of question. <laughs> but I kind of felt insulted when he said that. But I checked his ass right away. Because you're going to realize that you can't judge a book by its cover and you shouldn't. Whether you're a woman, whether you're black, whether you're whatever whatever you are, purple, how dare you judge me and how dare you judge my economic status? Based on based upon, you know, what society says or may say or what you think. You don't know me from Adam, but I told him the same deal. The same way you got your money, the same way I got mine. I didn't have to steal it. I work for it. Mm-hmm. You know, and then I've had people, oh, I've had people say um, that black mama, get mm-hmm. this. Oh, that's such a racist name. If I, yeah, like black mama is a racist, like, oh, that's so racist. If I said white daddy or something daddy, then it would be, you. nobody told you you can't do that. Yeah. You know, when they come, I said, but you got to understand, black mama is not about race. It's about, I'm black, I'm the mama, I make the vodka. Yeah. Or, yeah. you know, black is about positivity. You know, Women who have discretionary, because that's a lot of my customers, women who have discretionary income who can do whatever they want to do. Do you want your money in the black or do you want your money in the red? Hmm. Right? It's about economics. It's about positivity. And I let them know. I say, you have no problems with um, White Castle (laughs) or the White House or the average white band. Come on now. We're in 2021. And what advice do you have for others dreaming of open, opening their own distilleries? Just do it like Nike. <laughs> you only, look, you only live once, right? Just do it. It's going to be, it's going to be a journey. You're going to have fears. I'm telling you, you're going to be scared like shit all the time are you doing the right thing you are but that's the exciting part it is and you'll get over it and it's a learning experience just do it 
Don't be afraid of the money. If you do what, if you enjoy doing what you're doing, the money comes. I enjoy doing this. Like, look, we here, I'm in my place. I ain't got to talk to nobody. Well, you know, I had to tell my husband I was coming here. He's getting ready to go watch the all-star game. But this is my place. This is my building. This is where I'm at. My gates are closed. I do what I want to do. Come when I feel like coming. And that's that. That's freedom. Right? That is. That is. Yeah. And I don't owe nobody no damn thing. Everything is paid for. That's the other thing. You start to see profits. Remember when I said you won't make money in the first five, six years? Mm-hmm. You won't. <laughs> <laughs> you won't. So you got to have a backup. Thank God for my husband. Thank God for my husband. Thank God for, you know, the real estate. I have real estate, you know, which, which helps, you know, to have cash flow. But this is what I love to do. If you don't love doing this industry, whether it's home, you're not supposed to do home distilling, but <laughs> if you don't love this, you don't love it, then don't do it. Yeah. You know, I can sleep here. You know, sometimes my husband will come. Are you still at the distillery? Yeah, I'm here. You got to come on home. It's four o'clock in the morning. Oh, I have no problems. You know, wow. be, yeah. There have been times I've been here four o'clock in the morning. Employees come here. Even my one of my employees, she was like, man, you can never, I can, I can work here all the time. I was like, don't do that. <laughs> one of my employees said, oh, I can just, you don't have to pay me. No, I got to pay you. But, yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's fun. It's, it's. You, when you're involved, and you know it because I watch you, you look like you have a good time doing this. Like everybody has a good time. The, the only thing is just that it's all these regulations. Like, you know, I got to remember, oh, I got to get my taxes in before the 15th of the month, you know, but the actual craft and then going out and meeting people and then tasting and doing things. You know, I make my own CBD oil. Oh, well, you make everything. Because I got the ethanol, honey. So that's the beauty. When you, when you make, you know, when you're manufacturing, you're able to go into different areas because you're forced to, mm, you know, yeah. and right now in the U.S., we need more manufacturers than anything else. Mm. We need more manufacturers. We need more engineers. We need more people to, to, to develop here. And we need to also help the communities. You know, I, I think I sent you... Um, I opened up not too far, um, Black Mama Tea and Cafe. Mm-hmm. So I did that as a crowdfunding. Mm-hmm. And it's not far, but it's in a community that's, you know, underserved community that's being gentrified now. You know, the space was vacant for eight years. There was a shooting there. Nobody didn't want to be there. You know, it's one of those, you know, it's a lot of communities like that. Mm-hmm. You know, and I said, you know what? I do a lot in the community. You know, I'm here in the community. Why not just open that for the community? Plus, I get to have a tasting bar because <laughs> because when you have a distillery in New York and you're, you know, rectifying, you're distilling, you're doing all that. This is a specific license. They give you five. You can open up five tasting bar locations. Oh, interesting. I found it in the law. See, that's what, that's why reading is fundamentals, honey. <laughs> and I, 
And uh, so what are your future goals with um, the distillery? Well, continue to grow it. You know, I'm approaching my I'm approaching my 10th year with this brand. And people are still realizing like, oh my God, we didn't know you exist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've been here. <laughs> Just like, you know, um, Tito, like he's been out like 20 something years and then people are like, oh, he's a brand new brand. No, he's been out since 1996, you know? So I want to continue to to grow and continue to grow. Eventually, I would love to be one of these large bottling facilities you know, and large distilleries so I can employ people of color, Latinos Mm -hmm. and women and teach them. That's what I really, really would like to do. You Mm -hmm. know, so that takes time and, you know, it takes money, you know, but this distillery and and Black Mama Brands, it's not going anywhere. I plan for it to be around well after I'm gone, 300 years or more. You know, so at least when they look at this video, they're going to be like, oh, my God. (laughs) Okay, I'm going. Thank you for your time today. I'm actually going to stop the recording now, but you have to stay with me. I am. And then you're going to edit all this, right? Or you're going to just keep it that way. This is exciting. No, no. You're going to have a ton of people hitting you up on this. (laughs) So, yeah, I think I'm going to try to make it um, because I feel like we went. It was a good conversation, but we went all over the place. No, so I need it's to good. Go. That's what people like. It's genuine. If people are seeing the genuine side of it, it's captivating. 